Salutations, friend, and welcome to the Profit Scale Podcast, where we help independent Black, Indigenous, and people of color entrepreneurs earn at their highest levels through securing corporate contracts. I'm your host, Ruth Joy Connell, your corporate consultant and sales enablement expert, and I'm on a mission to equip you with the systems and strategies you need to build a business of generational impact and income. Around here, we bring culture and coins together, providing all the learning, community, and support you'll need as you scale your business. So if you're ready to step into your next level of income and impact, then you, my friend, are in the right place. Turn up the volume and lean in, because we're about to get started. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of The Profit Scale. I am so excited. This season has been such an amazing journey. The podcast in general, just an amazing journey to get to where we are. But I'm extremely excited for today's conversation because we get to talk with Catherine Isaac, who is a fantastic and phenomenal cybersecurity expert. And I just know this is going to be an amazing conversation. So let me introduce you to our guest today, and then let's get started with our conversation. So Catherine Isaac is a cybersecurity expert with over 20 years of experience in the private, public, and nonprofit sectors. She's been recognized as one of Canada's top women in cybersecurity and is a member of the Canadian Cybersecurity Network Advisory Board. As a vice president of customer success at Carbide, she prioritizes customer needs aligned with security best practices. She holds CISSP and PMP certifications and is an executive MBA from Western University and has a bachelor's of science in computer science and mathematics from the University of Toronto. She also mentors and supports underprivileged youth and women in STEM and is a speaker and board member at Urban Promise Toronto. So listen, if that doesn't tell you all you need need to know about our speaker today, I don't know what does because Catherine has such a fantastic background. So Catherine, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you and just excited for our conversation today. I'm happy to be here. Excited to talk to you guys today. So I always love to start off with the person behind the professional. So I would love for you to share more about how you got into this career path. Yeah, so I started messing around with computers or using computers back in high school. I was actually part of a pilot program way back then, introducing computer science to high school students. So there's only maybe six kids in that class, and I really enjoyed it. And so I went on into university and did computer science and mathematics Mm -hmm. at the U of T many years ago. And it was great. I left school right about the time that Y2K was happening. I don't know if some of you are old enough to understand what Y2K is about, (laughs) but this was, you know, this big fear that as clocks flipped over to January 1st, 2020, that all our computer systems, everything was going to break down because everything had been coded with two digit years. We hadn't considered moving into a new millennium, I guess, and what that would do. And so very lucrative time to be in technology. I was a programmer at the time and there were jobs everywhere. Like you could not be unemployed. You could not be without a job. And so it was a great time to be alive. And I started working in technology then and in different companies and moving around and I did some consulting work and I worked for a global publicly traded company at the time. And it was wonderful. And then all of a sudden 9-11 happened. And for those of you who may not be old enough to remember that, that's when we had the, in my generation anyway, like the biggest terrorist attack I'd ever seen. It changed a lot of things on the tech spectrum in terms of how we did business. A lot of companies lost a lot of money. And so we started to see tech people like myself who were 
making a lot of money in very lucrative positions, losing jobs because things were being outsourced to lower cost geographies like Mexico or India. And so it was a tough time and kind of watched a lot of people lose their jobs. And I kind of took a step back and said like, so what does this even mean? Like, what's the point of getting up and going to work every day? Is it just about making money? Because there's a lot of things you can do to make money. But I really felt like I wanted to feel fulfilled. I didn't want it to just be about money because here's what happens. There's ebbs and flows when it comes to making money. Sometimes you're on the mountain, sometimes you're in the valley. And so I wanted to make sure that what I was doing had longevity to it and that I was doing something that benefited the greater good versus just getting up and going to work every day. I wanted to make sure that the things that I was doing had greater value to like society. And so continued working in tech because of course I didn't want to start over in like a new career or anything, but pivoted my attention towards working in such a way that was really helping others. And so I started working for World Vision Canada at the time, took on more of a project and program management type role moved on to a regional municipality out here in the GTA where I live. Again, working for businesses like EMS and long-term care, public services. And this I really felt was great for me because it helped me feel like I was doing something. I was contributing to society in a different way. But with working with EMS and long-term care or even with World Vision Canada, a lot of the data that I had access to and the projects I was working on was really sensitive information, right? You have sense information for children in underprivileged countries or with EMS and long-term care, it was literally life and death type situations, solutions that I was rolling out that had patient information in them. And this is where security and privacy kind of came front and center. It's also for me where I really start to focus on customer needs. As a techie, you know, techies, we can get into our little box sometimes Mm -hmm. and start thinking about the technology and the tools and all the really cool stuff we can do. But at the end of the day, if the person who's going to use it doesn't like it, doesn't need it, doesn't appreciate it, then you're not successful. And so this is kind of where my career has been driven from, is from fitting in that gap between business and the customer and really helping to find solutions that people want and that they're going to use. Mm -hmm. And so focused in on cybersecurity, focused on customer needs and meeting customer requirements. And that's kind of where things have gone since then. I doubled down on cybersecurity about, I don't know, maybe seven or eight years ago and have been working specifically in that industry since. So the company I work for now is a platform company. It's a SaaS business. Mm -hmm. We build a software that companies would use to implement their security programs. So it's got step-by-step guidelines or a roadmap to building your security program aligned with common frameworks and what privacy regulations say, et cetera. Wow, I love that. And thank you for taking us through that journey of where you started and, and where you are now. Funny enough, I was alive during Y2K and heard of it. And me and my family actually went back to Ghana right before Y2K, just in case. But I never actually knew why, you know, until you said technology was programmed with two two digit ears. I was like, I never actually knew how it came about. So that's so interesting that, yeah, it's just interesting. Yeah. And the fear was everything would break down, right? The banks, Mm -hmm. the utilities, your electric services, everything was just going to stop. January 1st, midnight, <laughs> we'd be done. And of course that didn't happen, but mm-hmm. still a great time for me to be alive as a tech, as a techie. Lots yeah. of work, lots and lots of work for us. To do. I can imagine. And you mentioned doubling down on cybersecurity for the last few years. Now, mm-hmm. from what I understand of cybersecurity, this is often, the face of cybersecurity is often very heavily male-dominated of an industry. So I'm curious for you being a woman, but also being a Black woman in this field, how has it been for you navigating this industry, especially your career? 
I mean, again, I started in tech when I was in high school. Mm -hmm. So I think I'm just at the point where I've just constantly been surrounded by non-female, you know, it's just always <laughs> been me and very few other women in the industry. So going into cyber, it's been the same. I'm used to it now. It's almost like I don't even notice it anymore, but I'm used to it. I think cybersecurity provides a good opportunity for women, especially women of color, in that we think differently. Mm -hmm. We're far more analytical. We're far more patient. We can go beyond the technology and look at the underlying causes and purposes of things. And it's really been great for women. There's actually a few, several women, like I'm one of 20 in 2022 in Canada that were named as top women in cybersecurity. There's lots of us. And that's because I find there is a specific aptitude that's kind of required mm -hmm. for cybersecurity, not the technical stuff. We're not always the ones that are plugging in things and flipping switches and coding, but there's a lot of governance and policy and structure that is associated with cybersecurity to begin with. Mm -hmm. Before you begin to push buttons, you really have to understand a lot of what's going on there. And I think women have done a really good job of getting in that space, especially on the privacy side. I find there's a lot of the folks I follow and listen to on the privacy side are tend to be women. And I think it's because we see through the high level stuff and get into the details and this is where it matters. Yeah, I can imagine that as well. And having that analytical side of things being so important in this field, especially, like you said, as it relates to, to privacy. And, you know, I asked that question because our audience is primarily made up of historically underrepresented women. So women of color, women who are part of the LGBTQ plus community. And so being in these fields and, and these women who are listening and trying to secure opportunities with our organizations and present themselves as peers in the space to say, hey, we can serve you and work with you in this particular way. Often they're entering conversations and into rooms where they're not represented and where they are the minority in more than one way. And so it's not just encouraging to have you on the podcast and to share your experience, but also to see you in such a high position within your career to know that this is possible for us and that there are women on the other side of the table as well who have been able to navigate successfully these environments and who can also in some ways be an ally or at least at minimum a source of hope for them as well. Yeah. I'm curious with that. So being a, a vice president in the vice president position uh, within your organization, I'm curious about what it looks like in terms of when and throughout your career, not just in this position, but what it looks like when you're looking for opportunities to hire a vendor or a supplier for a particular project or et cetera. One of the things that I think is going to be beneficial is really understanding the difference between value and what you look for in value or how you define value versus cost. So again, the women who are in our audience and for those who are listening, when it comes to pricing, that's often a huge challenge for them. And so one of the conversations that's just been ongoing is the difference value. between cost and value. Yeah. yeah. And so from your perspective, who's on the decision-making side of things, I'm curious as to what are some of the factors that you consider when you are assigning value to hiring a specific contractor or supplier? Okay, well, you said a couple of good things that I really like there. And one of the first things you said is how I define value. And I think vendors need to understand mm -hmm. that I define the value. You can tell me all day long what your product does, what your services are. At the end of the day, I'm going to decide what's valuable for me mm -hmm. and what's not. 
Yeah, you still want to make sure that you are defining, you know, what your services are. You're going to pull out those valuable pieces, but understand that as the consumer, not everything is going to appeal to me. Mm-hmm. I define the value, right? I know what I'm looking for mm-hmm. when I'm shopping, and that's what I want. So if what you're selling me is oranges and what I'm buying is apples, you can have the best oranges out there, but it's not valuable mm-hmm. to me. That's not what I'm looking for. And so that's really one of the things that I think vendors need to think about is who is your target audience and make sure that you're documenting or explaining your services and your products in such a way that's valuable to them. Not everybody's your yeah. target audience. Just make sure that you're focusing on those people that are really going to find value in what it is you do because they're going to determine the value. Mm-hmm. Now, when it comes to how you price that, so I'm one of those people who believes that you get what you pay for. Mm-hmm. So lowest price is not always the answer. I will make that determination when I look at the product and see, or the service and see if it matches mm-hmm. and fits up. But I generally never go with the lowest price. It's very, very <laughs> rare that I'm going to go out and get three quotes and just yeah. take the lowest price because you tend to see it in what comes out, right? Like if you have such a fabulous product or service, my first question is, then why so cheap? Mm. Why is it so low? Mm-hmm. I, I firmly believe I'm going to get what I pay for. I'm the kind that will pay more for quality. I'm going to pay more for service. Demonstrate that you have a quality service or quality product, that you're going to be there with me to support me through whatever it is we're, we're doing, that if things go wrong, you're going to rectify and help me out. Demonstrate all of that in your pitch and then tell me what it costs. Mm-hmm. That's it. You assign the cost based on what it is you're delivering. And for these the vendors, they should really understand what that is, right? There's a cost, there's a benefit. What when, you know, how much is their time worth? Charge that rate. That's your rate. Mm-hmm. Charge it. And I think shying away from that in order to win a bid, we call it buying the business. It doesn't always work because you know, I want what I want. And I really, if I'm going to spend money, I need to trust that you're going to deliver it. Mm-hmm. And if you come in with the cheapest price, it may not be what I'm looking for. Yeah. It's interesting that you use the word trust because I think it's hard sometimes, especially for women entrepreneurs to understand that the dollar amount does in fact play a role in the person on the other end's ability to trust the outcome and what they're going to be receiving from you. So hearing that from you and recognizing that it's not just the dollar amount in isolation, but to your point, it's how you frame the value and being able to communicate that to your prospect and to the person on the other end of the table. Mm -hmm. I want to lean into that a little bit more. When you talked about you being the one who defines value, One of the things that is often a challenge is how do I, as a supplier or a vendor, how do I know what value means to you, right? Especially the first time I'm pitching you or first time I'm reaching out to you. So what are maybe some of the ways that we could go about finding out that information so that we can be successful in that first outreach? Yeah, that's where meeting with people and actually talking to people comes into play. Identifying what that Mm -hmm. ideal customer profile looks like. Who is your ideal customer? It may not be me. It might be somebody else. Let's say I'm looking to buy a car. BMW can pitch to me. Honda can pitch to me. I want heated steering wheel or heated seats and I want a sunroof and they'll both offer me that. They're going to cost two very different things. Understand who I am as a customer. Understand my lifestyle. Understand, you know, 
maybe my salary. They, they give you these questionnaires and they ask you certain things. A salesperson at a car dealership talks to you quite a bit as he's walking around and shows, showing you cars. He's trying to understand who you are, trying to figure out, are you my ideal customer for this vehicle or should we be over here talking about this vehicle? And that's the kind of thing you want to try and drill out of a potential customer is who are they and do they fit the profile I'm going after? If they're not a great fit. You can come with your number and your price and say, this is what it is. If the answer is no, they're not interested, it's too expensive, that's okay. That's not your mm -hmm. ideal customer. And so, you know, it might take a while to find that place or find that niche market. But I promise you, there is an ideal customer that fits your profile and there's a place to find those people. If there's a market you want to be in and it just turns out they don't want to pay what you're offering, then you need to make a mm -hmm. decision. If I want to play in this pool and they say mm -hmm. it's too much, then you've got to lower your prices. Or you go and look for that market that will take the price that you're offering. It's there. Mm -hmm. Believe me, it exists. There's a market for it. Mm -hmm. I love that you said that. One of the things that I always say to our clients is it's not a matter of whether or not an organization is going to spend the money. When they're looking to hire somebody, they're going to hire somebody. Right. It's just a matter of who they're going to spend that money with. Yeah. And understanding that ideal client and understanding what's important to them allows you to be able to position yourself in a place where they can recognize what you have to offer and at least be part of that conversation or part of that pool that they're going to choose from. Those things are so important. I'm glad you highlighted that. And at the end of the day, the decision is the vendors. The cost, what it's going to cost is your decision. You can choose mm -hmm. to drop your prices for a potential customer. I get it. Sometimes times are hard and you got to take the deal, but it is your choice. That's what it is. Hey friend, so you know when you were younger and you found out that the popular kid in school was having a party, but then you realized that you weren't actually invited to the party, but everyone you knew was going to be there and then you're like, who cares? I don't actually want to go anyways. <laughs> but secretly, you definitely wanted to go. Well, yeah, this is kind of like that, except you're actually invited. I want to personally invite you to join me for our exclusive Corporate Coins training, if you're an avid listener to the podcast, then you already know that here we cover all things serving corporate clients. But this workshop takes everything you're already learning to a whole new level. During this free training, I'll be walking you through the framework, of course, for how to attract, sell to, and serve corporate clients, while also diving into the coins and culture to address the challenges that we specifically face in these environments as Black, Indigenous, and people of color entrepreneurs. This training is interactive, it's high energy, it's industry-leading content, it's jokes and laughter, and of course, it's a safe space for us to come together, have real conversation, and for you to be supported on your journey. But here's the catch. There is no replay. You either come live or you miss it. This, my friend, is why you're going to want to make sure you register for this training and mark it on your calendar. The training, of course, is free, but that doesn't mean that there isn't an investment required. The investment is your time. That's it. You bring you and I'll meet you there with everything else you'll need. To get all the details and to register for the free training, just click the link in the show notes to save your spot. Trust me, you'll be glad that you did. All right, friend, back to the episode. 
And okay, so you talked about the market. If you want to play in a particular market and the pricing that you're offering is not in alignment with that market, then at that point you have a choice. So what we found is that even when you are in a market that's aligned with your price point and there is need within that market, sometimes it's still hard to identify companies that have opportunities to bring in suppliers or bring in vendors, especially when companies have their preferred vendors that they work with, then sometimes it can be difficult to get into, like even just get your foot in the door. So I'm curious if you can share, you know, what are some of the places that maybe entrepreneurs can be present in to be able to be considered and at least be aware of when opportunities come about? Network, 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 network. (laughs) You got to do it. You got to get out there. You got to go to industry events. You've got to go to my my husband is self-employed. You know this. You know, he's a member of a BNI, a business network international chapter. He does things with our local chamber of commerce. He's networking, networking, networking all the time. And not only are you networking in places where you're going to find customers, but you want to be networking amongst your peers so you can find partners. If you have good relationships with people in your industry, sometimes they get a gig that they have to say no to for whatever reason, but they can refer Mm -hmm. you. So network, 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 you know, especially now in 2023, the internet is a massive place. You know, you can have your website and whatnot, but to be noticed on the internet puts you in the sea of so many other people doing the same thing you're doing. Unfortunately, the pandemic shut us down for a little bit, but now we're at that point where you got to get back out there. You got to go to events. You got to see people, local events, web online, virtual events, get to meet people. And always when you're at those events, make sure you're doing some contact, some follow-up, right? Like you're actually sharing information and then following up with that person later on. Maybe let's do a 20 minute coffee chat on Zoom just to get to know each other. So you should be looking for potential customers when you're networking, partnerships Mm -hmm. when you're networking, mentors, coaches, all of these people can help you build and grow your business because they Mm -hmm. have networks too. I can't tell you how many people reach out to me to say, I just met this young lady. She's trying to get into cybersecurity. Do you mind talking to her? Of course I will. So just, you know, that second and third degree connection is also great as well. Absolutely. So you guys know that I say all the time, sales happen through conversations. And that's exactly what Catherine is saying here. You need to talk to people. It makes a difference to have that relationship with them. And so while theoretically we know this, what I've seen one of the challenges be is sometimes it's difficult to approach or begin a conversation with someone who is in an executive position or who we see as maybe elevated in their status or in their authority. You think so? Okay. I do think it's a challenge. So I'm curious for you, what's important to you when someone is approaching you, whether that's in person, whether that's sending you a message or trying to network with you, what's important to you? That you know what you want, Hmm. right? Why do you want to talk to me? You know, and usually people will reach out and be like, hey, can we set up a quick chat? I saw you speak here. I thought it was great. I always respond with, sure, but what is it you want to talk about? Just like we talked about the ideal customer profile, maybe I'm not the ideal person to talk to. Maybe I know nothing about the thing you do, the business you're in. We've got nothing relatable to discuss. I don't know why you want to talk to me. So I just say, Mm -hmm. be prepared. If you're reaching out to somebody to have a conversation, somebody you want to connect with, let them know why. 
this is what I'm interested in doing. This is where I am in my career or my startup, my business. And I'm looking for some guidance uh, on how to get to this next step. Make it mm-hmm. seem like I'm not trying to I'm not trying to sell anything. Because that's the mm-hmm. other thing. If you're trying to sell something to me, don't bother. I don't, I'm not interested yeah. in having that conversation. <laughs> not like that. That's not how we do it. So, you know, mm-hmm. I definitely don't want to sit on a sales call. But if you want to talk about your business and growing your business and maybe some strategies for networking and connecting and whatnot, then yeah, say so in your your pitch to meet mm-hmm. with somebody. And that's the best way to get started. It's often difficult, I think, for people to get into some of these conversations. Everybody gets on a call and be like, hey, how are you? So how's the weather where you're at? No, make sure you know why you want to have a conversation and what you hope to get out of it. I love that. And again, like knowing what you want and what you ask for, it makes it so clear for the other person and really makes it easier for them to say not only yes or no, but even to be able to support you in pointing you in the right direction. Like you said, if they're not the right person, then having that clear ask. can connect you with somebody else. Absolutely. Exactly. Having that clear ask almost creates a step forward, even if it's not with that particular individual. Mm -hmm. Maybe what are some of the red flags for you? If I'm reaching out and trying to get to know you or trying to connect with you or even just be on your radar, what are some of the red flags for you when people are reaching out in a way that's maybe not in alignment with what you're looking for or can come across as inauthentic or spammy? What are some of the things to you that are like, this is a red flag, I'm not even going to (laughs) respond? You know, one of the things that drives me nuts even on LinkedIn is I had it just this last week. Somebody requested follow or whatnot. I saw that we had some mutual friends, so I said yes. And immediately it was, we should connect to talk about your, and went into the sales pitch. Mm -hmm. So I didn't Mm -hmm. reply. Two days later, again, literally the next day, maybe you didn't see my message. And again, no, I saw your message. (laughs) This is becoming (laughs) annoying. By the end of the week, I actually killed that connection. No, unfollow. Mm -hmm. So again, you said authenticity. People love to feel admired. (laughs) That's how it is in 2023. You want to be authentic about it, but really, like I said, make it very clear why you want to talk to this person. What is it that I saw in you? Where did I hear about you? I'm interested in what it is you do. I want to learn more. That sort of thing. So when people just come in, the conversation's really about them. Mm -hmm. That's a red flag for me. You don't want to talk to me. You want to sell me something. You want to tell me something. Mm-hmm. I'm interested, right? Let's talk. Let's collaborate. Let's discuss. Let's see if we can even form a friendship of some sort. But if you just want to do show and tell, that comes out very clearly in that first message. And that's where it becomes very inauthentic. Mm-hmm. You know, when it comes to red flags, when I do connect with a person, I pay attention to how they're treating me and the kind of information they're giving me. Um, that tells me how they're going to treat the next person and the kind of information they're going to share with the next person. And so I feel often like it's like, you know, certain things you probably shouldn't share with me because you don't know me and you just don't tell me about this client and give me details that, and I I just often think to myself, they're going to do the same with me. I can't give you my money. Mm. I don't trust you. And so understand that first impressions are lasting impressions too, right? So make it count. 
Absolutely. Listen, I relate. I have gotten so many of those messages on LinkedIn where someone puts a connection request in and you take a look at their profile, seems okay, or you know, there's at least one reason to connect with them and you do. And that first message immediately after, which some of them are automated and some of them is really just the person sending yeah. an, an actual sales pitch or something. And or similarly, I'm... With some of them, especially the ones that are automated, it's like, you didn't even really read my profile, right? Like nothing you yeah. said there actually applies to me. I get these in my inbox too. And it's like, why would you send me that? Yeah. That's a bot. That's a robot of some sort. No research has been done here. Mm-hmm. No. I just had one of those emails before we hopped on the call today and I just, I deleted it and it was a follow-up and I'm like, I didn't respond to your first email because you weren't talking to me. <laughs> this Maybe had nothing you didn't to see do my with last me. email. No, <laughs> yes. <I did. laughs> just intentionally ignoring yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> one thing that you, that you mentioned that stood out was the authenticity and just connecting with the person and not leading with a pitch, but leading with a genuine connection. I, I find it funny that on LinkedIn, reach out to somebody, you add them to your network. It's an actual connect button. But sometimes we don't take the time to actually do that. No. So we hit the connect button, but we don't follow through with connection and action and in conversation and recognizing that, yeah. yes, while what you may be looking at on LinkedIn is a page or a profile, there's still a human behind right. that an individual, a person who has a family, who has interests, who has hobbies, who likes to laugh and who yeah. appreciates certain things. And taking the time to simply do that, it makes such a difference in creating a relationship with that person. Yeah. And I think for even for me, as we're having this conversation, that relationship theme is is what's standing out is because you, you don't know how you can help them or how they can help you. Yeah. But if you take that time to ask and have conversation or learn about them, then it becomes easier to find those steps forward and navigate and say, okay, yeah. well, what could a next step look like? Maybe it is that 20-minute chat, like you said, or maybe yeah, it's that's it. sending them some, a resource or, you know, just, I love that. So, okay, I'm going to circle back a little bit to the beginning of our conversation where we talked about cybersecurity and, and privacy. And so I'm curious to hear from your perspective and with your expertise as a vendor coming in to work with an organization or a company. This is something that we don't always think about and maybe don't always know how to navigate the privacy side of things. Of course, oftentimes we're signing some sort of NDA, some sort of non-compete, the legal things that are taken care of mm -hmm. within the contract. But aside from that, what are some of the ways that we can come to an organization and almost show that we've taken that extra step to think about privacy and security from their perspective? Oh, good question. The easiest way is to have a privacy policy. Hmm. Okay. Have a privacy policy or an information security policy. And that should even be part of your, your pitch deck. If you've got a website, if you go to most websites now, you scroll down to the bottom, there's a link to their privacy policy. This demonstrates to people that, look, we're, we're thinking about it, or at least we've thought mm -hmm. about it. When it comes down to privacy, it's not as complicated as people think. Most of what's in a privacy policy or even in a privacy regulation is just about ethics, right? It's really yeah. just about treating people's information with respect. And if what you're dealing with is uh, the public, consumers, so even if you're dealing with a company, there's some stuff that, that they want to keep private and is sensitive. Mm -hmm. But if you have information or data about their employees, that's an individual person. you got to treat that information with respect. 
Mm-hmm. And that's what it's about. And so you want to demonstrate that you're not just following the law or you've got a piece of paper, but that you have a culture of privacy, that ethically, your personal culture, your company's culture yeah. is one of ethics and good standing. And so it does kind of all tie together. Careful what you put on the internet when you share stuff, because of course people go and look stuff up. And if we're all going to assume we know things about you based on what you put on, out there. And so that can impact what people think of you ethically. And so this is an important piece for me. Like I said, when I'm meeting with somebody, I'm thinking about the kind of information you're sharing. I'm looking at how you're talking to me. And I'm going to make assumptions about how you're going to treat my information based on what I'm going to gather from you, whether it's right or wrong. <laughs> that's it's how we do things today. And so privacy should be at the front and security should be at the forefront. We do actually have legislation here in Canada and around the world, actually, in terms of how personal information must be treated Mm -hmm. and people must have access to their personal information. So if you're collecting personal information about any of your customers and they come to you and say, hey, I want to see what you've collected about me, you have to hand it over. It's theirs. Mm -hmm. You should understand what the regulations say so that you can comply. But ultimately, it's just about treating people's information with respect. If you are, say, a house cleaner, and you go to clean somebody's house and it's a complete pigsty in there. You don't get to go and tell your friends, oh my gosh, I went to this lady's house. She lives at this address down there. And that was, you don't get to do that. You can talk mm-hmm. about your experience, but you can't reveal the identity of people uh, that you're working with. You can't uh, reveal any sensitive and consider, again, the, the term is subjective, sensitive, but sensitive mm-hmm. information, you know, you know what is sensitive. You, you just use your good judgment, determine what's sensitive and make sure that you're keeping sensitive information confidential. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't be hard for us to do. But in this business landscape we're in, it is a critical component to being successful. Mm-hmm. I love that you talked about the ethics behind privacy and that at the end of the day, that's a major component of what your privacy policy is going to look like. I've found that working with B2B, like other businesses versus um, customers, or even in today's digital age, for entrepreneurs, it's become a lot more common to share who you've worked with, the companies or clients or customers, you know, that you've worked with, which is not necessarily, yes, exactly. Not necessarily a bad thing, but to your point, privacy might dictate that that can't be shared. And sometimes it's taking that extra step or even reading through your contracts properly to ensure that that is information that you can disclose. Right. I was going to say, check your contracts. That's one thing. Logos is, are usually okay to share if you're sharing it like on a one-to-one basis. This, this potential customer you're sharing your, your list with. If you're going to mm-hmm. stick them on your website, I would definitely say get your customers okay before you share a logo on your website. Maybe mm-hmm. they did not like you. <laughs> Maybe they did not appreciate <laughs> your services. You don't want them on your website anyway, right? So do yeah. that. If you're using them as a reference, you definitely should get their okay first Mm -hmm. because nobody likes a random phone call. I was about to book these guys and they said they worked with you before. I don't like that. Secondly, again, maybe, maybe I didn't enjoy their service. So definitely make sure you are getting an okay first before you do it. I love that. I'd like if there's any tips that you can share for entrepreneurs to stand out from the competition when it comes to the competition for for contracts and for opportunities to work with organizations, especially larger organizations, where, again, there might already be a pre-existing relationship with particular vendors or suppliers. 
Is there any tips that you can share with them on how to stand out in those environments? Yeah. Well, you know, we just touched on one thing. It's referrals. Get referrals. Like actually pursue referrals. Ask your customers if they'd be willing to go on camera and do a video referral. Then we know as a, as a buyer, I know it's real. You didn't just make this one up. And the referrals have to be good quality, legitimate referrals. And when I say legitimate, I mean when I'm reading a referral or, a, you know, a comment, I'm trying to see from this referral, can I tell what the product or the service was it, it does the referral actually say you know i used ruth joy to help me build whatever or was it is it just ruth joy was a pleasure to work with that's so vague right i yeah. want a legitimate <laughs> real referral and so be be brave enough be bold enough to ask that question can i get a reference from you and when they write something when i was getting my renovations done the lady who did the design work she came back and she said i'd like can you do a referral I said, yeah, she said, can you make sure to include what we did, the color choices, where, what you found beneficial, what she was very specific in how she wanted me to write this referral. She didn't tell me the words to use, but gave me some guidance and I wrote the referral and, and handed it over to her. And I think business mm -hmm. owners need to do more of that. Again, in 2023, there's a sea of competition out there. How am I going to break it down? I'm going to look at, at referrals and also be bold. Like I said, get out there social media it up, get on social media, uh, get some, you know, good brand new clean headshots. People need to know what you look like. Yes. In 2023, you need to show people what you look like. They want to know that there's a real person behind that business. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, I love that, especially from having the specificity. That's something that's come up a lot. And so it's good to know. And I'm glad that our listeners can hear how important it is to the decision makers for you to be specific throughout your interaction with them, specific in understanding what value means to them in your approach and knowing what your ask is and knowing what you want to get out of that interaction or that relationship. And even specificity after having worked with them and asking for that referral or asking for that testimonial so that it can serve you with future opportunities mm -hmm. as well. That's been a good theme from our conversation today. Kathy, thank you so much. This conversation has been awesome. And I'm so glad that our listeners really get to hear from the other side of the table and really understand what's important to decision makers so that these are things that they can consider as they're moving forward with their businesses and in their in their careers. Is there anything else you'd like to share before we wrap up today? Um, especially for women and women of color, like, like I said, be bold. Like, let's just get out there and do it. The, the thing is, for generation after generation after generation, our male counterparts have just been sitting down and at tables and saying what they want, right? They just articulate mm -hmm. it and then they get it. <laughs> and we were, we were like, why? That's so unfair. But we need to get out there and do that too. Um, and recognize that sometimes a no is, is just a no and you move on, but there's there's going to be a yes. You just have to keep at it. Be bold, be fearless. Ignore all the, the eyes and the stares and the, the weirdness around you and just do the thing you know you're good at doing and get out there and get it done. Thank you so much, Kathy. I appreciate you having you today. I appreciate being asked to be here today. Love it. All right, friend, if you enjoyed today's discussion, be sure to connect with our guest on social media using the links in the episode description. 
As always, I'm so grateful that you chose to spend this time with me, and it's my hope that each episode plays a part in moving you one step closer to building a business that will have a generational impact. Friend, I need your help. It's my mission to provide this podcast as a resource for women and women of color entrepreneurs all over the world, and I can't do that without you. Every time you leave a review, it helps increase our reach, making it easier for fellow women entrepreneurs to find us. Will you take a moment to leave a review for the podcast? This small gesture means so much to me, and it's the best way you can support us if you love the podcast. And if you've left a review before, you can leave more than one. Every review goes a long way. All you have to do is hit the link in the show notes to leave a rating and a review, or head over to Apple Podcast and leave us a review and rating there. And will you do me one more small favor? Take a second and share this episode with a fellow entrepreneur. Sharing even just one episode can make a world of a difference for the person listening on the other end. On behalf of myself and the team, thank you so much for supporting us in doing so. I'll be here at the same time and same place in two weeks. And until then, I wish you coins, confidence, and all the bags. Talk to you soon, friend.